0: So this weekend was the infamous barbecue fest at Tom Lee Park. Have any of y'all ever been, just a show of hands, who's actually been to barbecue fest? Scott's been? I went one time, it was really cool. I didn't go this week though, but it's a celebration of pork and all of its porkiness. Uh, It is, you know, there's more people than you could ever expect. There's these multi-story tents and this just constant smell of hickory and smoke and just all of the ribs. If, if, if Canaan was the land of milk and honey, surely Tom Lee is the land of ribs and barbecue sauce. I can imagine after hearing the story of uh, Peter finding out he doesn't have to eat kosher anymore that he would kind of go crazy during barbecue fest. It's a po- I mean, it's, I don't know. There's not lizards and birds to my knowledge, but he could probably still enjoy himself. But like I said, I wasn't up there this weekend. I actually went on Friday with some folks uh, to a lecture uh, at a church that was given by a Bible scholar that I'm a big fan of named Pete Innes. And he talked for three hours about uh, the way we use the Bible. Uh, So it was, uh, (laughs) Chuck's making that face, like you listen for three hours. I listened for three hours on wood pews. Yes, that's the face we made too. But it was wonderful. Uh, And the funny thing was, he posted on his Facebook that he was going to be there. And I commented and saying, I'm going to be there as a part of my birthday celebration listening. And he kind of made fun of me. Uh, He (laughs) popped back up and he's like, oh, this is sad. This is really sad. (laughs) That's what you're going to do for your birthday. Uh, But it wasn't sad. It was great. Um, It was a really good time. And a lot of what he said today kind of influenced the sermon that I've got here. So if you were with us, uh, I'm sorry. Some of this will sound familiar. But going back to Barbecue Fest, uh, I was talking to Kenneth last night, and he pointed out a tweet uh, that really kind of uh, changed the tone of Barbecue Fest, because the Twitter feed for Barbecue Fest was talking about all of the winners last night, because it was right about the time that the judging was happening, and so it was naming all of the teams of uh, the barbecue teams that were winning, and these names are things like the People's Republic of Swina, uh, and... Full Moon Smokers, and Love Meat Tender. Um, it's just these, you know, wonderful, and it's just this kind of joyous celebration of barbecue. And then immediately, there's another tweet that says, hey, a dangerous storm is coming with high winds and lightning. Please evacuate the park immediately and seek shelter. Reentry will not be permitted. Things got real, and the tone changed. So that's where we find Jesus in our gospel text today. Because for some reason, in the middle of the Easter season, we're going back to the night that Jesus was betrayed. And Jesus has suddenly found himself lacking a Judas because Judas is going to go do his dark work. And the tone changes at this meal. Uh, Jesus is aware of what's going on. And he starts referring to these grown men as little children and speaking to them basically like this is the last chance he's going to get of saying something important. He's trying to explain, to encapsulate his whole purpose in this world in just a small amount of time so they can know what to carry away from the time that they've spent together. He tells them that he is being glorified and God is being glorified in him and he is calling his disciples to love one another as he loved them. His ministry in relationship to God and his ministry in relationship to all people is explained in just these few verses. Glory is one of these weird concepts though. Glory is one of these things that is such a part of humanity that is kind of controlled who we are as people for millennia. Glory and honor in the times of Jesus, but also in many cultures today, were the pinnacle of human existence because we understand ourselves as attaining glory, attaining honor for, the, for ourselves, for the people around us, for our community. It's basically the fabric that keeps people moving. It was the reason to get up in the morning, to work, To maintain the status quo, to keep honor coming for your family, to bring glory to your house and your ancestors, especially in Greek and Roman life, because not only was it understood as a favor and blessing from the gods when you received glory and honor, also the the gods you worshipped received glory and honor when you received glory and honor. It was a transactional type thing. You represent them, so when you things go well for you, things are going well for the gods you worshipped. And the opposite side of the relationship was shame. Shame was the negative, the thing to stay away from at all costs. It was the absence of glory and honor. And as many of you know, what Jesus is about to experience in our text today, the crucifixion wasn't just manufactured by the Romans to kill people because there are much simpler ways to kill people than crucifixion. But it was a method of execution that was manufactured to be the most shameful way to die possible, being nailed to a tree, left there naked, gasping for air, begging for food and water, sometimes for days, while people walk by and hurl insults and curses at you. Jesus was about to endure the most opposite of glory thing imaginable. But of course, we understand now that when Jesus says that he's being glorified, it's in part because the gospel turns things on its head. In living the life of the lowliest, the place where shame is heaped on him and rising again, God makes the cross, a place of glory, a place of victory, and a place of love. We shared that story again and again over the last few weeks as we have been living in this time of Easter. We mourned the death of Jesus on the cross, and we rejoiced with Mary and the disciples at the empty tomb. We've been amazed as the disciples have seen the nail-pierced hands, And touched the hole in his side. We've witnessed the victory over death and shame. The disciples though in this moment of this story didn't know this. They hadn't seen the next coming weeks. They're still oblivious to the coming events. And as we saw on Easter Sunday. They didn't understand this well enough to know that he was going to come back. They didn't see the cross as victory at all. They saw it as the precipice of despair, as their leader, their Messiah, their friend was about to be cast aside to the furthest of the margins. So Jesus, to prepare them for this, reminds them of their relationship, reminds them of their friendship, reminds them of the love he has had for them, and uses it to command them to oblige them to ask them to love each other the same way he gives them this new commandment to love each other as he has loved them it's the final point he leaves them with because it is the crux it is the thesis it is the whole point it is the reason glory comes through something as terrible as the cross love is the reason What I want to talk about today, the reason I think this really fits into the Easter season, isn't just the why we love, though. It's the how. As we live as Easter people, how do we love as Christ has commanded us to? How do we love each other as Jesus loved us? How do we continue on? As Jesus tells the disciples in the text, I won't be with you much longer. And where I'm going, you cannot follow. So we're stuck here, together, without the Jesus that we could sit with and ask questions and figure out how all this works. A show of hands, real quick. How many folks have said at some point or heard someone say, wouldn't this whole faith walk be easier if Jesus could just show up in person and explain it to us? Right? On some level, we're looking for that. I know I heard Peter say that basically every week. Uh, he's like, you know what, if he could just show up, this would be a lot easier. <laughs> he's not wrong. I think on some level, uh, we even when we see these stories of these disciples listening to Jesus and not getting it, we're like, these guys are a bunch of morons. If I was in this position, I would have picked up what he was putting down much sooner. <laughs> um, and it's there's this hope, I guess, for a checklist, for you know, Jesus to be like, hey, this entire place is screwed up, and I'm going to explain to you in 12 steps how to make it not screwed up anymore, and all we'd have to do is listen to Jesus, and it would be fine, but we don't get that. We don't get to sit down with Jesus that ends with a bullet point list to show how to be the body of Christ to each other and to the world. And it's obvious that we don't have this because we have thousands of different denominations and churches and types of christians different ways to believe all quartered off into their own little sections their own little corners and we're fragmented due to disagreements on how to love like jesus the right way i mean we have the bible for sure But the Bible, as much as we want it to be, isn't a set of instructions or a play-by-play on how to do this right. It's not like walking down a well-lit hallway, but basically it's more like stumbling through the dark of a maze. It's more of the story of how the folks before us were trying to figure it out and how they came to different conclusions from time to time. We can find different verses and different stories that tell us how to live that can be completely refuted or shot down by some other different stories and verses two books over. In Pete's lecture on Friday night, he talked a lot about this, about the relationship we have with the Bible, and he capstoned it by referring to a uh, a line from N.T. Wright. Everybody knows N.T. Wright because Chuck mentioned N.T. Wright every nine days on average after what maybe it's i don't know if you have the the, the stats but i'm assuming it's him and williamon are like a, a they're close right That's, when i wrote this i didn't expect you to be here so it's weird you finding out that i talk about you all the time so this is a well-worn source but pete mentioned it in a way that i'd never heard it before right talks about the christian story Like it's a Shakespearean play. And I don't know when the last time any of you read Shakespeare was, but one of the things with Shakespeare is he wrote in a five act structure a lot of times, right? So he says that this Shakespearean play had a five act structure. Like the first act is creation, and the second is the fall, and the third is Israel, and the fourth is Jesus, and the fifth is the church. And he describes it like we're in this, we're with this play, we're studying this play. And basically the fifth act isn't there. Basically, you know, we're reading this 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 play, and then when it gets to act five, there's a little bit, and then we guess have to make up the rest of the play on our own. So it's up to us, basically a high school Shakespeare troupe, to figure out what the fifth act looks like, to figure out based off of, what we understand of the play that's come before, the direction that the play has been moving to figure out how to live out this fifth act. Of course, there is a little bit of the fifth act already. We read some of that fifth act today as we see Peter kind of go through this in his own way when he realized that the play that he's in isn't finished and suddenly this way to live that he's lived his whole life, God is saying, that doesn't really fit the spot you're in right now. It doesn't really fit the, the goal that you have to reach these people that aren't following the same laws that you are, so sit down and have a meal with them. We go through the motions trying to stay true to the character's motivations, but we are living in our time and in our place, and we are filling in this fifth act with our understanding of the world around us. This tells us what the Bible, this book, means to us as we love each other and the people around us, but it also tells us that we might read the first four acts a little different from someone else. We have 2,000 years of fifth acts being played out by churches and by cultures all over the world, and the costumes look a little different. The sets look a little different, the language sounds a little different, and people fit into the story a little differently. We started this morning talking about glory, about how Jesus turns glory over on its head, how God and Jesus are both glorified through the most shameful thing in human history. And I want to end today by talking about the glorification of love. One of our other texts this morning was from the end of Revelation. If you were reading along with Sherry, you might have noticed there weren't that many pages left in the book by the time she was reading the section that she was reading. In that text, we see that just as Jesus was glorified, so is the earth going to be glorified. So is all of creation going to be glorified. And it's, this is happening because God is coming again to stay here to live with us, to move into the room upstairs. The text says that in this glorified earth there will be no sea, and I know some of you might hear that and say, but I like the beach, what am I supposed to do? But don't worry, because the sea throughout scripture is a symbol for chaos, for the unknown, for the unlivable. The text is saying that the unexpected, the unknowable, the uncertain will be calmed and will be stilled in this new heaven and this new earth. We'll finally get that sit down with Jesus that we've all been wanting, where the fifth act will be made known in its fullness. This won't be easy, it might even be hard to hear. But like the text says, we follow a God who will wipe the tears from our eyes. But until then, the glory comes from practicing it, from workshopping our lines, from reciting the parts of the text that we know so we could know what the fifth act is going to look like. The glory comes from studying the work of Jesus that came before us And the other folks trying to play out that play and learning what the fifth act looks like for us here in this place at this time for those people who are coming to the show. Because I think that's what Jesus would have us to do. Let us pray.